to Hostile Witness, a podcast about law at the end of the world. I'm your host, Charles Starr. No cold open, it's just me. If you've already listened to episode 7, welcome. If you haven't, you may want to start there. You don't have to listen to that episode to follow this one, but it wouldn't hurt since this episode continues sequentially along the Mar-a-Lago Special Master timeline. It's moving so fast that not only did Patrick and I have to tape a follow-up to episode 7, I had to record a coda to this episode by myself before I could release it. Sorry, I guess. This is Hostile Witness. Bear with us. Alright, so we're we're back because the law just keeps happening and my <laughs> life just keeps happening. And so I still haven't even edited what we recorded last week. Eric is in Florida interviewing with Paul Huck. And <laughs> uh, so only Patrick is here for the coda to the to the first episode we did because so much is still going on in Florida. It's gonna be happening for a long time, it turns out, if they stick to this uh, time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so the the quick recap is that I think when we last recorded, what we finished with was Eileen Cannon issuing an order inexplicably appointing a special master. Did we get in before they asked her to reconsider? No. Last time we spoke, they had literally just posted the order with and then like the four names he didn't intercede anything that happened after then was that trump was like no those people aren't <laughs> <laughs> right. right that was the first and it was and uh do you remember his reasons i kind of feel like didn't he say that didn't they say that the reasons were basically secret but they'd provide them if they wanted them yeah, they said it would be embarrassing to post them publicly, but we will tell you off the record. Great, yeah. <laughs> right, Re- this is this is Barbara Jones, uh, retired, uh, not, yeah, I guess she is retired now, former judge on the Southern District, um, who ruled in the Michael Cohen and Project Veritas and maybe... Uh, Giuliani special master cases, at least two of those. And Griffith, Griffith or Griffiths, who was on the D.C. circuit and is like universally regarded as a total square, Mm -hmm. uh, which is not what uh, Trump wants. Right. (laughs) Um, And so he said, uh, we oppose both of their suggestions, but we can't tell you why. It, it, It feels like something written literally by Donald Trump. Yes. Yes. Where he's just sort of threatening them to not take the assignment because he has pictures of them in a strip club. Mm-hmm. And and then the government responded by saying, we we think Raymond Deary, who is who they said was retired, but actually is not. He's just a senior judge in the Eastern District. Yeah, I actually saw conflicting in information on that. But yeah. Yeah. Because, um, well, no, in the assignment, they say she says senior judge. So she corrected that he's not like literally retired. Okay, I think that um, the I think that the explanation for that that I read is that he's effectively transitioning off of that right now. Oh, so uh, he's effectively between the two. Oh, that's funny. Okay, <laughs> so number one, 
They say Deary is fine, which isn't surprising because he's been on the bench since the 80s. He was on the uh, FISA court and the DOJ practices in front of him all the time. He almost certainly, since he was on the bench under Reagan, (laughs) was an ex-prosecutor. So I don't know that that's true, but I just assume it is. Right. And then they said, but Paul Huck doesn't have judicial experience. And then they left it at that instead of uh, slagging a guy who probably is having lunch with Eileen Cannon this week. <laughs> yeah, that would have been a lot. That would have been a lot of fun. I yeah, I got to say I had I had a lot. A lot of my hopes were pinned on either him getting appointed or him getting savaged or presumably both because one would have happened and then the other one would have happened. And uh, yeah, a real, yeah, a real loss for comedy when he uh, got shut down. (laughs) Right. Okay. So, and so then of course she chose Raymond Deary, right? When she, though that came later, but spoiler, she chooses Raymond Deary, who I think is who everyone wanted anyway. Like Paul Huck seems like the guy you put on. So it seems like picking a Reagan nominee right. seems reasonable. When you take like an SAT preparation class and they teach you how you can rule out two of the answers pretty much right away, Paul Huck. Yeah. <laughs> right. But before that, the, the, uh, the DOJ filed like a brief and they're like, we'd like to make a motion for reconsideration. We think your whole opinion is terrible, but specifically, we want to make sure that you're serious about these hundred documents yeah. that have classified markings on. They're explicitly stamped classified. They're, yes. they're not just like known to be classified. There isn't there isn't like there's physical evidence of the fact that these are classified documents. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you saw the photo, right, of yeah. all the folders that said top secret and classified. Mm-hmm. And they have markings. And no one's ever disputed that they have markings, well, right? Well, it turns out somebody there may, <laughs> there may be a dispute that they're classified, right? Right. But there's no dispute that they're necessarily – I mean, there isn't a real dispute that they're marked classified. Right. And that's what the subpoena was for, right? Not classified documents, but documents with classified marking, with <laughs> classification markings. So they're like, you can't mean that, right? We can just have those. They can't, He can't get them under 41G. And either they're presidential records so he doesn't get them – or he's arguing that they're personal, and why would he have personal records that are classified? <laughs> like, I I wish they would have said that he is in the habit of just writing classified on things. <laughs> yeah. That they're not formal, but it's just how he warms up his pen, is by right. writing classified. Right. right. Yeah, you got a ballpoint <laughs> To get the ink flowing. Yeah, you got a ballpoint yeah. pen, and it's kind of stuck, and instead of rubbing it on the page, you write classified, yeah. And so they file that motion and they even say in their motion, they said, but they basically said, if you don't answer us by the 15th, we're appealing to the 11th circuit, Mm -hmm. you know? So she's like, okay, Trump has two days to respond and then you have a day to reply. Trump immediately writes back and says, we dispute that they're classified and you know that there's, you know, some of our stuff, like none of it is real argument, Right. They're just like, why would you do this to us? You know that we don't want you to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, which which under normal circumstances, one might think would uh, be not persuasive. One would think. They just keep arguing that even if they're presidential records, he has access. There's no real harm. 
right? Yeah. Like, I don't know. But it's like, they just don't even say anything. All their response says over and over again is that they disagree. Yeah. Which is good enough, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Because she finds that she is not going to give them a partial stay because the president disagrees. Yeah, there's a, dis- there's a disagreement over the nature of these documents, yeah. So not surprisingly, like the next day they appealed to the 11th Circuit. And that's like the current state. But I guess we better start with her response. Yeah. What was your take? What was your sort of quick take on this? Well, first off, everybody was surprised. I was surprised. Everyone else was surprised. Second, her her characterization is, again, basically like, yeah, you make two perfectly valid reasons under the law as to why these can't be his. Because of the classified markings, uh, they're not his. And if you want to argue any sort of privilege, then those are work product from, you know, his job when he was the president. So they're not his. And so Trump's like, yeah, but no. And she's mm-hmm. like, OK, there's a pretty compelling dispute here. So we better let like the oldest guy we can find take as long as humanly possible to adjudicate <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I the what I think there. I don't know. We, people may or may not remember. In the first episode, we talked about the fact that a bunch of former uh, prosecutors. Let's see, what do they call themselves? Amicus Curiae, former federal and state government officials, which include William Weld and Christine Todd Whitman. And a bunch of other people who I don't recognize. But I think they're a combination of former electeds and and prosecutors and stuff like that who wanted to file an amicus in the district court. And she's like, thanks, but no thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she just she just rejected the amicus. So they've basically refiled it. Uh, in the 11th Circuit, who will probably accept it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things that they say is that the decision just kept saying that there are disputes, but it's literally the judge's job to resolve those disputes if there is an easy resolution to them. And sure, it's true that the president does argue that he has executive privilege rights, but Supreme Court precedent Nixon clearly forecloses exercising those rights against the current executive branch. And so you're supposed to decide that. You're not supposed to kick it to the special master. You're the judge. <laughs> like, like it's not supposed to be the special master resolves anything that anyone disagrees on. That's every case. Right, right. <laughs> That's why they're actually in court instead of shaking their hands at a settlement conference. And, and they said the same thing about 41G, like a motion under Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 41G is to get back things that you have a possessory interest in. And if they're government records, you don't have a possessory interest right. in them. Plus, if you wanted to torture that definition to include just like hey can we also have access to those it's like yeah you have access to those we're just not going to let you have them back in your house again that's kind of what this whole thing is about (laughs) right i mean one of the things that the government says in their moat in their motion and then they say it again in the 11th circuit is they're like he keeps saying that he has access which is true but it presumes that nara has possession Mm mm-hmm 
And you can't complain that they're not giving you proper access when you have wrongfully withheld them in the first place. <laughs> like, you're supposed to give them back and then get access after they've been archived. You're not supposed to just keep them. It's like the, it's like the argument sketch in Monty Python. <laughs> Right? It's just like, no, it isn't. No, it isn't. No, no it isn't. Yeah. No, it isn't. And so that's one very frustrating. The other, I started to say this and then I forgot. She decided this on the 15th, right? They said, they said, if you don't decide this by the 15th, we are going to appeal mm-hmm. with what is, I think, substantial balls. On her part, she says this is she goes. the government advises in the motion that it will seek relief from the Court of Appeals if the court does not grant a stay by Thursday, September 15. Appreciative of the urgency of this matter, the court hereby issues this order on an expedited basis on the 15th at the close of business. Yeah. <laughs> like literally this hit the docket at like five on the 15th. While someone in the DOJ hovering over the appeal <laughs> on ECF to click filing. And then they read the answer and clicked it anyway. Yeah. Well, I think when they <laughs> said they were like gonna appeal, like it was pretty abundantly clear that we're gonna appeal unless, almost certainly. Like, like there was yeah. almost like no wiggle room where they weren't going to appeal something. Oh, yeah. They're like, we know that you're gonna deny this. Yeah. But we want to pressure you to do it quickly so that this 11th Circuit, we don't get a panel that sort of jerks us around on procedural grounds because we didn't wait for you. So we're just gonna like force your hand to write something dumb quickly. And mm-hmm. she's like, I got you. Yeah, yeah, no problem. And and then all of all of her argument, I think comes down to just fundamentally, and I mean, I don't want to stand too hard for, you know, the Department of Justice and the FBI, right? but she's like, the whole order is, I don't believe you. Yeah. Or at least I'm not compelled by any law to believe you about this. And while I would be sympathetic to that in most cases, the other litigant, is the least trustworthy person in the history of the United States. Yeah, and the fact pattern here is a little, yeah. <laughs> There's, if you were going to, yeah, if you were going to express cynicism, uh, it's flowing in pretty much the exact opposite direction here, given the relative right. sympathies behind each of the parties, yeah. Yeah, so it's like the government's position presupposes the content designation and associated interest in materials under its control. However, there are disputes as to the proper designation, the legal implications flowing, and the intersecting body of law, blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, we're giving him back his personal stuff. Yeah. We're, we're letting the special master... Deal with literally everything else. Yeah, as part of saying they wanted those hundred documents, like right away, they were like, "Look, just you can have all this other stuff. That's fine. Just like the one really obvious thing. Let us do our work with the one really obvious thing, please." Yeah, and that was when she came back and wrote this, and it just said, "Nah." And so then she's just like, "Okay, so you're you're upset. I see that you're upset." <laughs> Thank you.
I, I see that you're upset, so I want to be clear about what my order does and does not do. I'm saying that the only thing you can't do is use the content of the materials for criminal investigative purposes, but here are all the great things you can do. You can present the seized materials to a grand jury. You Oh, you can't use the seized materials at a grand jury proceeding, and you can't use the content to conduct interviews, right? Just the content. On the other hand, if you want to, you can bring charges based on the classification itself. You can question witnesses about movement and storage, as long as you don't talk about what's in them. You can brief congressional leaders with intelligence oversight. You can you review them in the security assessment. You can involve the FBI in the security assessment. But, but... If you mess up in any way that I deem later, uh, that could be a problem. should be easy <laughs> enough to navigate. Sure. And then they just say, we don't think that there's irreparable injury because maybe not. And she, like, there are all these caveats, right? He goes, mindful of the traditional reluctance to intrude upon the authority of the executive and military and national security affairs, I'm going to do that. I'm going to stomp all over it Bigfoot style <laughs> because... Because I can't be fired. And they're like, there has been no actual suggestion of an identifiable emergency or disclosure. And it's like, what are we supposed to put in a brief, lady? (laughs) We've never had to do that before. Why would we? It's marked top secret. We've explained what that means. And so she just is like, ah, once again, I don't trust any of... I know that the head of the security department, which a Kohler, whatever his actual mm-hmm. job was, he has said that this is very complicated and there are security risks. But I mean, who's the head of national security to make those judgments? Right. <laughs> yeah. And so she's like, I'm, di- I'm directing the special master to prioritize review. Of those 100, um, even though, and, and she's, and one of the, the DOJ's arguments was, we don't actually want to show it to anyone. We don't want Judge Deary to see this. We don't want you to see it. Right. We don't want, like, we don't want any of that to happen. It has classified markings. And even if technically you're allowed to see it, we don't want you to. We just don't want you to. That's it. Few as pe- few eyes on this as possible. You're not one of them. He's not one of them. And like, if you if we skip ahead a little to her actual order appointing the special master, she's making them provide them to Trump's counsel. Yes, which they're definitely going to just ignore until the Eleventh Circuit resolves this. Like, they literally won't do it. Yeah, the actual order is um, it's impressively granular. That was the one thing that really struck me looking at this. Um, the amount of stuff that they got to do. I was just mentally adding up like numbers five at a time in my head, thinking about how long this is going to take. And like, it was really something. Oh, I don't think it is actually. Okay. I think it's going to, I think, first of all, I think the hundred document, I don't know if you know this, but Deary has already said, everyone's got to be in my chambers by Tuesday. Okay. Meeting meeting in Brooklyn on Tuesday. Okay. Well, I guess I should right? say that Deary, um, like regardless of who this was theoretically going to be, 
there are a lot of mechanisms built in here for this to take an incredibly long time. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's very funny. In the same way that she issued her her ruling on the last possible second so that the DOJ had to acknowledge it was done on time mm-hmm. and then incorporated into their appeal, they asked for, like, really expedited. Like, I don't remember if it was, like, 45 days or 60 days, but I think it was, like, closer to 45. Yeah, there was a pretty broad gulf between the two. Remember right. That. And then Trump was like 90. Mm-hmm. And so she split the baby, but not in half. Yeah. <laughs> right. She did it at 75 days. So it's end of November. Yeah, November 30th. But that, in, that doesn't include like various challenges and appeals and whatever. Though she also said that Deary should like roll out his decisions as they go, which he is... I think, you know, he's going to get them in on Tuesday, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's like, what is your argument against anything that has a classification marking? (laughs) And just like, you know, getting that done. I feel like anyone who worked on the FISA court is going to be really kind of horrified (laughs) at this whole, though at the same time, they may have talked to him already and they know he's in the bag. So I mean, I can't predict anything anymore, but that's it. So she, so, so her, her order's bad. The last thing she says, by the way, is like once again, saying that I don't have to unquestionably accept the word of the deep state against, you know, the beloved uh, former president of the United States, yeah. you know, and that's like another, that's another sort of point that the amicus makes in spades, which is that like her orders are just replete with how unique his situation is mm-hmm. and how important like all of these reputational harms are and stuff. And it's, and they're like this, that's not, anything like justice it's like completely ridiculous to take his status into account in all of that yeah for part of that they uh pretty much excoriate her for like a vibes-based opinion and then um to the extent that the district court held otherwise concern for reputational harm is not a valid basis for enjoining a criminal investigation (laughs) right pretty straightforward yeah um this is like this is a like an earnest deployment of the facts don't care about your feelings argument. Right. The other thing that I liked in the amicus brief is that Cannon keeps saying things like, you know, there's a dispute, right? And it's like, that's not what likelihood of success on the merits is. Yeah. You're supposed to actually evaluate the merits and them disagreeing should probably not factor in. That's the baseline is that they're disagreeing. Yeah. And Nixon is very clear, and 41G is very clear. All of the likely to succeed on the merits arguments go to the government. There's nothing that indicates that Trump has clear and convincing or even weight of the evidence standard for how he's going to win. There's nothing. Like, he's definitely going to lose. Yeah, one thing about reading all of these all these briefs and opinions as they come out is that we have seen this exact argument articulated the exact same way over and over and over again, very convincingly. And she's just like, nuh-uh. Right. Uh, very, <laughs> very frustrating. And she keeps throwing in reference to his personal effects. Yeah. And it's like, those are not in dispute. No. 
you know, and she's like, the only, the only risk is that the government keeps leaking. And it's like, how do you know who's leaking? Yeah. Trump knows what's in the box, too. Why do you just presume it's someone on the FBI's team that is leaking the fact that, you know, these were nuclear or, you know, that it's nuclear related? Like, there's, there's no reason for any of her presumptions that are peppered throughout. It's just like a ba- just the basic understanding of this is that she just doesn't believe anything that they say. So, I don't know. I mean, that's this is a criminal investigation of obstruction of justice and improper handling of government and national defense documents. How how do you keep coming back to the fact that we had his uh his the letter from Ronnie Jackson declaring him healthier <laughs> than uh than um I don't know. His literal presidential fitness award. Yes. Right. Right. The photo of him flexing. Oh, God. I saw someone refer to it as a a job application for the Supreme Court when Trump wins his uh, Grover Cleveland (laughs) term. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like, I stood by you, man. I gave you your special master. So he's going to do he's going to do a privilege review, verify that the property in the detailed property inventory is correct, conduct the privilege review and make the make dispute, identify the personal items and documents, evaluate claims under 41G, any additional uh, duties, if there's another order, whatever. You can consult with NARA. By the way, Trump lost this one. Yes. The special master is allowed to consult with the National Archives. Yeah, it's probably worth pointing out that that's one of the two major points that he actually lost on. It was that and who was going to pay for it. Which is going to be really funny when he tries to wiggle out of paying. <laughs> oh, yeah. She, yeah. Oh, that's right. She did. She said 100% this has to be paid for by Trump because he brought uh, he brought the action, which is probably another reason why she chose a sitting judge. <laughs> like Raymond Deary isn't going to charge $1,000 an hour. Yeah. He's probably just going to do it as part of his uh, actual government job. God, now I'm sad about Paul Huck again. That invoice <laughs> would have looked insane. <laughs> oh, yeah. They say privilege review team shall provide copies of the potentially privileged documents to plaintiff's counsel, which makes sense. Uh, Then you review, you provide a privilege log for the special master. Special master reviews it. Is there a fight? If there's a fight, you get five days to respond. And then I review the special master de novo, right? Mm -hmm. All normal. For everything else, for seized materials, excluding the potentially privileged, provide to plaintiff's counsel copies of documents not marked classified, okay? Make available for inspection with controlled access conditions, including necessary clearance requirements. They're going to put a third the documents mark on that. marked classified. <laughs> so now Trump is going to take like three years to find an attorney with proper classification. Yeah. Uh, for with proper clearance, and then you make available for inspection anything else. And it's the second of those that will just never happen. Yes. Right. There are like no circumstances, I think, where they're actually going to let his attorneys see that stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing that Amika said, where they're like, that is the most preposterous uh, order that a district court judge could give. 
Like, how are you actually ordering the government to turn over top secret (laughs) documents marked top secret to, like, someone's attorney? (laughs) (sighs) Like, it just seems so far beyond the pale. It's all sort of done quasi-expedited, but very explicitly after the midterms. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right? It all, like, the, the deadline is November 30th. With enough delays that will push it into the new year uh, by the time it's all finished. And I think ultimately the, the government's position is we think the special master is stupid. But aside from these hundred documents, whatever, possession is nine tenths of the law. We know we're ultimately going to win on all of this. Mm-hmm. And our complaints about the archives process was this classified stuff like the rest is the stuff we should have been able to work out but you just wouldn't be reasonable yeah this is a goofy kind of petty squabble with like potentially alarming implications that's like designed to obfuscate the the 100 important ones that they just keep mentioning like so if that part gets expedited then it's like okay by, by the way, just as a little bonus, uh, the non-party motions for consideration for special master were denied. Yeah, that was that was a little sad to see written up. <laughs> Thanks for your time. I'm curious to see how kind of verbose this process is. If it's going to like, I can't imagine it'll be anything short of a circus. But at the same time, we got a serious judge here. They're keeping their heads down and they're actually doing uh, it. It'd be, I'm sorry. It would be extremely stupid of me to say that there's a way that this goes quickly and smoothly and isn't dramatic. I I'm just going to completely retract everything I just started. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I, yeah, you. <laughs> I knew better. You know, you will be beaten. You will be beaten until you stop having optimistic thoughts. Yeah. Um, yeah. but I'm the same way. Like I, I can't stop myself. I can't stop myself from figuring that eventually I have to like wake up and have one person just firmly hit him in the nose with a newspaper. Yeah. Yeah. And be like, no, bad. Yeah. Bad, you can't do this. This is bad. Well, it's fun to have little sort of flights of fancy where you imagine things being normal. And then um, your actual waking life is everything being what would under ordinary circumstances be fantastical. So I guess that's exciting. (laughs) Yeah, it is. You get every once in a while to daydream Mm -hmm. a world where Democrats actually uh nominate people to open judgeships yeah i could see that that seems it would be that seems like a thing you should do but they don't do yeah yeah i will say though the very funny thing about this entire special master thing is that is this is sincerely one of the most like broad coalitions of alarmed people i've seen in a long time Right. It's, it would have been very funny if Barr was on the amicus. <laughs> like, if that was the final... He's like, okay, that's it. I'm sign, I'm so mad, I'm signing an amicus with uh, Christy Todd Whitman. <laughs> yeah. I've been pushed too far. Yeah, a rainbow coalition. That's... Uh... Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I think that's it. That's... We're... we're I think we've got uh, what we want out of this. Um... Which is uh, pain. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks for thanks for coming back, Patrick. Yeah, absolutely. It's fun.
Well, here I am again, flying solo, because I just have to get through this without arranging to have anyone with me, because this case moves very fast. No surprise, after Judge Cannon denied the stay with respect to the 100 documents with classified markings, the government, as promised, appealed to the 11th Circuit. In the 11th Circuit, they said similar things to what they've been saying all along. Functionally, these are government records, and even if we're letting the special master deal with most of the government records, the 100 documents with classified markings definitely should be kept out of the hands of anyone who doesn't have access to see them, and the judge shouldn't have ordered that they go to the special master or to opposing counsel. The judge further shouldn't have ordered us to stop doing the criminal work except to the extent that it's inextricably intertwined with the National Security Review because we don't know what she thinks inextricably intertwined means. Basically, they see the order as just a trap for them to get dragged back in front of Eileen Cannon again. They make the very simple arguments that the most important factor is likelihood of success on the merits, and given all the briefing that they did and all the decisions that Judge Cannon refused to make, they are more likely to succeed on the merits than Trump is, especially with respect to these 100 documents. The Ritchie factors, uh, the case that Eileen Cannon used to judge what documents would be returned to Trump, also very much involved in the likelihood of success decision, is also going to go in their favor because the most important of the factors in the Ritchie analysis is the callous disregard for the litigants' rights, and even Cannon found that the DOJ wasn't actually callously disregarding Trump's rights. They make all the other arguments that we discussed in the early part, and because I don't want to go through all of that again, I'm going to just skip to Trump's response. Trump said that the entire argument that the DOJ makes just presupposes the outcome and that they make a unilateral determination that the records are classified and that Cannon's order was a sensible preliminary step restoring order from chaos. It's kind of a weird brief because they do a lot of pointing to documents that aren't the subject of the appeal, whether they're the the medical records or personal material or the stuff that DOJ has already admitted is privileged, even though the DOJ made a very focused stay request, the Trump response just rehashes all of that, which isn't a real surprise because Cannon did too. They make a weird argument that classification markings don't necessarily prove anything about classification status or, frankly, anything. And then they argue that under the Presidential Records Act, the president can call anything he wants to personal, which is, at best, dubious. They also make a very interesting jurisdictional argument where they say that the 11th Circuit isn't allowed to take an appeal of the special master order yet, because it isn't a final order, and as you'll see, that gets taken apart. The government's response to that is that Trump never bothers to articulate how a document with classification markings can fit any claim. He just kind of suggested that they might not. He again suggested that he may have declassified documents, but not only would he not say it in the briefing to the court, he won't tell the special master when asked directly because he thinks it prejudices him in the criminal case, 
which is a weird position to take because he brought the litigation in the first place. In any event, all of that, according to the government, is a red herring because the court shouldn't be getting involved in an ongoing investigation in the first place. On the jurisdictional argument, they said that the special master order wasn't what they were appealing, it was the injunction, and injunctions are one of the exceptions to the no interlocutory appeal rules. In the first episode, we talked about the amicus brief that a bunch of former state officials like Christine Todd Whitman and William Weld and others tried to file in the district court but were rejected. The 11th Circuit let them file, and they mostly made the point that Trump uh, is just a guy and he can't really get special treatment or else, you know, the entire sense of justice is distorted. The more interesting amicus brief filed was from the states of Texas, Florida, Indiana, Kentucky, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, Louisiana, South Carolina, Utah, and West Virginia, who filed in support of Trump on the grounds that Dark Brandon can't be trusted. That sounds like a joke, but it's actually the entire brief. They say that the, quote, the administration's conduct in connection with this case is of a piece with the gamesmanship and other questionable conduct that have become the hallmarks of its litigating, policymaking, and public relations efforts. At a minimum, this court should view the administration's assertions of good faith, neutrality, and objectivity through jaundiced eyes. End quote. And then the rest of the brief is just a catalog of Biden's litigation against Texas's constant efforts to undermine <laughs> Biden's laws. The rest of the brief is a catalog of Biden's litigation against asshole state government tricks and pranks and the hack judges across the country, including the Supreme Court, that find increasingly baroque ways to rule against the administration accepting very lame excuses for why they get to act out of the ordinary order of the law. And that gets us to the 11th Circuit decision. The first thing that they say in two sentences is that the jurisdictional claim that Trump made was nonsense, that Cannon issued an injunction against the government, and they obviously have jurisdiction to review it. They then turn to the four Ritchie factors about whether documents can be returned to Trump, and they really very quickly blow off Cannon. The first thing that they say is that Cannon ruled that the Department of Justice didn't callously disregard Trump's rights. They agree with that, and if everyone concedes that, that basically ends the story. If you can't get past the first Ritchie factor, the others don't really come into play. They rule on them anyway. The second factor, the individual interest, none of the documents other than the hundred documents with classified markings are relevant to the analysis at all. And there's no way that Trump can show that any formally classified document could have become a personal document, so he can't possibly show individual interest. Factor three is irreparable harm. And the reputational damage from being investigated is not irreparable harm. That's it. It's the, the kind of argument that anyone could make if it were valid. Factor four is that there's no other remedy at law, and that doesn't fit either. There's no remedy at law because he doesn't have any entitlement to government records. 
basically stop second-guessing the National Security Department when they say that they think a document is classified and they want to keep it out of the public's hands. There are 100 documents. They're easily identified because, and they kind of spell this out like they're talking to a three-year-old, they have markings on them. It's not like there's a dispute whether they're marked or not, right? You just kind of have to take the government's word for this. And so the district court simply should have backed off. Basically, anything that Eileen Cannon didn't already rule for the government, the 11th Circuit did. And these were two Trump judges who signed this per curiam opinion that just dismantled this absolutely stupid ruling. And I think the only reason that they limited their ruling to the 100 documents is because the Department of Justice did. And so we are back in the district court. Cannon revised her order to strip out the provisions about the 100 documents. They don't go to the special master. They don't go to Trump's counsel. The government can do what they want with them. That's it. And she turns it over to the special master. And Raymond Deary, senior judge, Eastern District of New York, immediately gets cooking. He orders them to his courtroom and tells them to have agendas. His first order is to ask Trump to list anything he thinks was planted by the FBI or that the FBI lied about in their inventory, and, the go- and they have to get that into him by September 30th. The government has two weeks to respond to that. He sets up a protocol where they hire a document vendor make all of the documents reviewable and searchable with an index to the inventory and include the DOJ's privilege designations. Trump then has to go through those documents and say whether they're personal or presidential or privileged, whether it's attorney-client or executive privilege or work product privilege, and they have to give their reasons. They have to send out reports on a rolling basis And then the Department of Justice has a week to accept or challenge any of their designations about what should be withheld. He also said that Trump only has until Monday to respond to the 500 pages that the filter team has already designated as potentially privileged to assert any privilege claim over them. He has a very expedited schedule. Eileen Cannon said that everything has to be done by November 30th, Raymond Deary, who has seen how fast high-paid counsel can work on this stuff, says that Trump has to review and designate everything by August 14th. That's three weeks from when I'm recording. On a rolling basis, he has to report out his objections and withholdings, and the government has a week to respond to anything he does. After October 21st, which is when the last government paper is due, They'll have 41G motions, if any, about the return of materials, possibly coordinated with the magistrate judge who had initially issued the search warrant, which is interesting because he just kind of threw in there the idea that this might not be under Cannon's jurisdiction anyway. He also said he's not getting paid because he's a government employee and he's going to use his courtroom staff to do most of the assisting work on the job. But 
He thought he needed one more experienced guy, and so retired Judge Orenstein, who sat in the Eastern District of New York also, and who has top-secret clearance, has been hired at $500 an hour to assist Raymond Deary in the process. One note that I thought was interesting, Deary said that Orenstein has to send monthly invoices. Trump has a week to object to those invoices and, quote, failure to make timely payment will be deemed a violation of the special master's order subject to sanction. Uh, It looks like someone has heard about what Trump thinks about paying his bills on time. He then issued a protective order, and he said everyone has to sign a confidentiality agreement and keep the record secure. And that's it. He's not fucking around. He's not letting anyone delay him, and he's going to blow through this. It's like 11,000 pages. It's not that much. And he's not letting anyone pretend it is. That's it. We're caught up. This is like 10 minutes. I think that's fine, even if there were very few jokes in it. Let's listen to some tonal rotors. Thanks to Patrick for joining me on such short notice, even if I took too long to push the episode out. Thanks again to Riverboat Gamblers for the intro, Blue Ghosts, and to Patrick, again, for the interstitial music, Fear of Flying. Thanks to Dan Parshall for the engineering. Check the episode notes for where you can find everyone online. And thanks to all of you for listening. Also, I'll be appearing on an upcoming episode of Caduceus Wild, a podcast about medical disasters by a couple of real doctors, because medical ethics crashes into the legal system sometimes. Look for that on my Twitter feed. I'm not shy about promotion. I'll see you back here at Hostile Witness soon. Ish. <laughs>